0: Hey there, this is Mary, and welcome to my podcast, Mental State, where I talk about all things mental health and more. I was in a breathwork class on Saturday evening, and we were talking about the number 2024 and how it adds up to eight. So if you're into numerology or tarot, eight is a really significant number. It can put it on its side, represent infinity, so it's like you have infinite possibilities coming up for you in 2024. The other thing in the card, the number eight is a woman on a lion, which represents strength and also on the flip side is representing how to sort of rein yourself in to be really aware of your strength and how it can work for you in 2024. Speaking of strength, I want to talk about dating. And this is for my people out there who are looking for relationships in 2024. I want you all to empower yourselves in the dating world in 2024. So, over the break, I talked to a bunch of dating coaches, just kind of picking their brain, bending their ear. And I was asking them about how to date successfully. So I know that a lot of you out there know how to date unsuccessfully and that we're giving away the milk for free. And then we're disappointed when the person doesn't call, text, or, you know, even ghosts. Now I have a couple of episodes on ghosting. Um, I encourage you to listen to those if you're interested in ghosting. I'm hoping to take the term ghosting out of 2024. Let's get away from ghosting, maybe quietly stepping away or realizing that this isn't the relationship for us and we don't really have to make a big explanation about it. So I think the thing about ghosting is that it You know, it's kind of like we can reframe how we think about ghosting. Like if the person doesn't call, then they don't call. Now, I think if we're in a relationship with somebody and it's going along steadily for several months and all of a sudden they disappear, that could mean one of several things. One thing that I've heard is that the person is married and is about to get caught. So they end up basically deleting themselves from social media. So you've established this relationship with this person, it feels really good, and then all of a sudden they disappear. So that can mean that they're either married or in a other relationship or who knows. I was talking to some dating coaches out there and they say that usually when you get ghosted and it feels all of a sudden and you've been in this relationship with somebody for several months, it probably means that they're in a relationship with somebody else. So they might be kind of dancing between several people or you and somebody else, and then decided to go with that other person or they're married and they know they're about to get caught or they have gotten caught. So please don't take this type of ghosting personally. I know it really hurts a lot. I know that when I've been ghosted in the past, after I've been in a relationship with somebody for several months. I realized that they were communicating with their ex-girlfriend and they were hoping to get back together with that person after I did a little bit of sleuthing. So again, it's more about how the other person is just not living their life with integrity. And unfortunately, you happen to be on the other side of that. So I just kind of went on a ramble about unsuccessful dating. So let's talk about successful dating. So I think the first thing to understand about successful dating is really understanding what your intentions of dating are. Do you just want to date around and have fun? Are you looking for a long-term partnership or are you looking for a life partner? So I know a lot of our time is spent on these dating apps. And I think that I like to advise people. Now, this is just my own opinion. This is not to be taken. If this isn't working for you, then this isn't working for you. And that's okay too. I like to tell people that maybe instead of putting that they're looking for a life partner, which feels very confining, it feels limiting, maybe say looking to date in hopes of developing a long-term relationship. That feels more open. That kind of gives you a little bit more wiggle room on the playing field because maybe you realize, you know, maybe oh I thought I wanted a lifetime partner, but really I just wanted to practice dating and ha- and having fun. So I think the first step is really understanding your own intentions which means, you know, what are your values? What are your long-term goals? And what kind of qualities do you want in a partner? So I feel like having the more self-awareness you have, the more you'll be able to lay that foundation for those genuine connections. The first thing I talked about was intentions, understanding your own intentions. This really goes into Delving into the core of your desires and expectations for a potential relationship. So, what does this mean? So, really think about what you really want in a connection. Do you want companionship? Is it important for you to have shared interests? You know, what do you envision in a lifelong partnership? Now, obviously, we know relationships evolve over time. So, we might think, oh, we want I'm really attracted to this person because they're an adrenaline junkie and they love to do outdoorsy things every weekend. So that might work for you in the beginning of a relationship. But if you really think about the longer term effects of this, you know, what if you want to start a family and this person has to go out and do their outdoorsy things every weekend, or maybe you don't want to do outdoorsy things every weekend. So all of a sudden, all of this activity that seemed very attractive in the beginning of the relationship is something that for you, you can't do that long term. So for example, I mean, I like to go up to the mountains occasionally and go skiing or snowboarding, but I don't want to do it every weekend. But in the beginning, if I'm with somebody, I'm like, oh, wow, this is fun. This is what we're doing every weekend. But then I have to realize that I don't want to do this every weekend. I might want to do something else. And so maybe they're not interested in other things that I'm interested in, like going to museums or going to concerts. And all they really want to do is drive up to the mountains every weekend and go snowboarding. That may not work for me long term. So I think it's really important to kind of understand the cadence of somebody else's life and not how you fit into it, but do the two of you fit together? Getting clear about what it is that you want can really help form the cornerstone of successful dating as it enables you to really articulate your desires with clarity. Another thing that I encourage as we dig deeper into our values and long-term goals, are thinking about what your non-negotiables are, right? And how do they align with your aspirations for a meaningful relationship? Is it about shared values, about family? Is it about personal growth? What about career ambitions? Some people place career as a priority and like for their partner to also have a career. So I know that I've seen in the demise of a lot of relationships is that one of the partners doesn't have a career or purpose in their life. And so this can really be something that kills a relationship because Maybe you're somebody who really wants your partner to to be driven and ambitious and have goals. I mean, some people are okay with having one partner be a stay-at-home partner, and the other person is the person who's like the primary, what we call breadwinner. What is it that works for you? What is it that you want? And as you're looking more into the future, if you're thinking about having a family, what is that gonna look like? So if you're with somebody right now, who's so career-driven and, you know, has such a purpose and is very myopic, narrow-minded, or just, you know, the eyes are on the prize. In the beginning of the relationship, wow, that might be really hot and sexy and I really love somebody who's focused on their career. Like moving down the line, if you're wanting to establish a family with this person, are they gonna be only focusing on their career? Are they what we like to call a quote-unquote workaholic? I don't necessarily like to use that term because some people are so passionate about their work. They just love working because they don't think of it as work. But is that person just going to be focused on that? So as you're building out your family and somebody has a soccer game on a Saturday, oh, I can't go because I have to work, right? So is that going to, speaking of the word work, is that going to work for you? So I think it's really important to filter your potential matches through the lens of compatibility that's steering you towards connections with greater potential for longevity, especially if you're looking for a longer term partner. Now, if you're looking to date and you don't really care about what this is going to look like in five years from now or what this is going to look like with a family, that's okay. Go out and have fun. And I think that the more you date, the more you get clear on what you want in a partner. So there's so much value in just dating around. Another thing to look for is, you know, what are the qualities that you want in a partner? Do you want kindness? Again, the ambition, sense of humor. So what resonates with you? and really get clear about it. So something that you might kind of latch on in the beginning might annoy the fuck out of you five months down the line. So what is it that you value in yourself? And what do you like in yourself? And what do you, how does that reflect in the way that you want a partner? So for instance, I have a kind of a funny, weird sense of humor. My partner has a funny, weird sense of humor. And that really works for us, especially when we are in conflict Because we can bring that sense of humor into our conflict, which helps diffuse the conflict. So we get in a place where we can talk seriously instead of in this place of heightened emotions. So that's just my personal, what I personally like. I also really like intelligence. So I know what works for me. I don't want to be with a stupid guy. I've been with a stupid guy. And it really like breaks my brain. So just really understand what qualities you want in a partner. Another thing that's important is fostering your own self-awareness for gender. Another thing that's important is, you know, how you bring your clear sense of self to the dating landscape. So when you do that, you're better equipped to communicate your needs and expectations. Right. So that can help more with connections, realizing, do I want to be with this person? Do I not want to be with this person? So a lot of times, communication, people kind of bypass that in the beginning of the relationship because we're in that honeymoon period. So I think the clearer you are about your own sense of self and working on yourself. And by working on yourself, I don't mean you need to go into a cave for 10 years and then come back out and say, I've worked on myself because, because working on yourself is not something that's a one and done thing. It's constant. Things are always coming up in relationships that may feel unexpected and and may hit us in a way that kind of like might even dig into our own childhood trauma this self-awareness about what is coming up for us in the relationship is really important. So the more you have a clearer sense of your own self, then you're better equipped to communicate your needs and expectations. And the better you are at communicating, the more mutual understanding and respect you'll get out of your relationship. Or if the person doesn't know how to communicate and that is a constant point of strife in your relationship and the person isn't willing to learn how to communicate, then maybe this is a sign that this isn't the person for you. You can't force somebody to communicate. You can give them space to learn. But if they're not willing to learn, then the relationship isn't going to work. I think communication and trust are the foundations of a relationship. So speaking of foundations, and I just talked about trust, I'm going to talk about several others, but I am going to go back to this trust part. Trust is the essence of a strong foundation, right? So we need to know that our partner is reliable, honest, and has your back. It's earned and also cultivated through consistency. So the more that we're vulnerable and open with our partners, the more we foster that sense of reliability that becomes the cornerstone of a trusting connection. So trust number one. So how do you establish trust? Well, first of all, honesty. Now, I don't know where I heard this, but I just heard this the other day about How honest are you actually with people? And a lot of times people say, "Mm," you know, if you really get real with it, some people are, you know, brutally honest, which I think there should be some filters around that. And some people aren't honest at all. You know, they'll just say what the other person wants to hear or what they think the other person wants to hear. And that comes from more of a people-pleasing, anxious attachment style and brutal honesty, which is, you know, do I look fat in this? Yes, you do look fat in this. Like nobody wants to hear that, right? So that can actually be mean. So really listen to how the other person communicates their honesty with you or how they show up in an honest way, either in their profession or even with their friends, Because if they're kind of like lying or people pleasing to their friends, they're probably going to be doing that in the relationship with you as well, unless they're totally honest about it saying, well, I had to say this to this person because of this, and they're letting you know what they said, and the reasons why, so that you have a better understanding of where they're coming from. But if you see the person being dishonest in so many different ways and kind of covering it up or not being fully transparent about it, there are probably probably some ways where they're being dishonest in the relationship with you. Now, I know I talked about trust and honesty. And again, communication, trust and communication, the pillars, the foundation of a healthy relationship. So how do you communicate in a relationship? We have to actively listen. So we're not just sitting there and waiting for the other person to stop talking so that we can start talking because we already have in mind what we want to say, but we really need to actively listen so that we can reflect back what that person is saying. And I know it's hard sometimes in a relationship, we just kind of want to turn our ears off when the other person comes home because we're not in a space to listen or we just might get bored of what they're saying. But I think it's really, really important to be present and to get, and and this is a this is a perfect way to get curious about what your partner is talking about. So asking questions, right? So you can kind of get out of that boredom. And even if you are bored, so what? They might be bored of you too. So that's why, again, it's important to be present because they may not be telling you the most exciting story, but that's not a reason to dismiss them and to turn off and to wait for them to stop talking. So really being receptive to your partner and also what their perspective is. So if they have a different perspective than you do on certain subjects don't dismiss them or tell them that they're stupid or that they don't know what they're talking about. Get curious about their perspective. So a relationship with open communication really encourages dialogue. It is so helpful for resolving conflicts constructively. And you're kind of making sure that you're on the same page as the relationship evolves. We talked about trust. We talked a little bit about communication. And I want to get more into communication because I did talk about some things about communication, but I just wanted to get more detailed about it. So one thing I talked about was active listening. So obviously it goes beyond the act of hearing, right? There is a conscious effort to understand the nuances, emotions, underlying messages conveyed by your partner. Again, I can't express enough. It's so important to be fully present and engaged so that you are signaling to your partner that their thoughts and feelings are not only heard, they are also valued. And again, this is some attachment system stuff, right? So with our primary caregivers, if we were expressing ourselves to them and they kept rejecting everything that we said, This might have us develop an avoidant attachment style like, oh, there's no point in sharing what I say doesn't matter. So I'm just going to keep everything to myself. I'm just going to stay silent. I'm just going to walk away um, because sharing feels uncomfortable. So the more we're present for our partner, regardless of what their attachment style is, but I think this is also really important for avoidance to reflect and validate what they're saying. Wow, that's so interesting. Tell me more is really important to develop a securely attached relationship with our partner. Um, again, I said, "Wow, that's so interesting. Tell me more." So that is about thoughtful questioning. That is the compass that guides our conversations toward deeper exploration. So asking questions, you know, learning about their perspective, learning about where that perspective came from. So you really want to show a genuine interest and not a fake one like, oh, wow, tell me more because we're trying to get this person interested in us. It's not about somebody being interested in me. It's about me actually genuinely being interested in what the other person has to say. So that can also, right, you're also like modeling to your partner, like I'm interested in what you have to say. And then that actually might have them be more interested in what you have to say. So it's kind of like a collaboration, right? And I like to say you can't communicate too much in a relationship. There's no such thing as over-communication. Now, I want to also distinguish that if you have an anxious attachment style, you have to really figure out what the energy is behind, underneath that communication is, are you really, really searching for validation? And does it feel like desperate? And does it feel like part of your survival system? Well, that's different. But if you're coming from a more secure and grounded place, communication can really reduce the likelihood of misunderstandings and ensures that the intended message is received. So when we feel heard and understood it really creates a foundation of emotional safety and trust. You Get clear about the energy that's surrounding your communication. Are you feeling grounded when you approach your partner, or do you feel like there's this like this milestone of emotions and and you're really looking to be validated and you're testing your partner to see if they're going to be there for you, right? So there is a difference between Communicating around that anxious attachment style and communicating for understanding. So, I love talking about red flags. And I think it's really important to be vigilant about red flags, right? Because red flags are a crucial aspect of safeguarding your emotional well being. They're warning signs that indicate potential issues within a relationship. So remember, especially with those of you who run anxious, it can be kind of confusing to understand the difference between your instincts and your intuition and your anxiety. And a lot of times people are hypervigilant so that everything becomes a red flag. So you really have to do that work on yourself around your anxiety so you can get more clear about your instincts and intuition. That being said, speaking of vigilance, it is important because Vigilance in relationships involves an active awareness of subtle cues and behaviors that may indicate underlying issues. And this is really important, especially if you find yourself in relationships with narcissists. And I have a couple of episodes talking about narcissism. If you want to learn more about that, you can check out those episodes. But I think that people, especially with a covert narcissist, or even a grandiose narcissist, I think that being around a narcissist can feel really good because they're usually charming, good-looking, smart. And it feels good to be sort of caught up in their, I like to call like a circus, right? It's kind of fun. You do a lot of fun things. But then there are a lot of things that happen where narcissists can flip. And it can be very confusing because one moment you're feeling really good about this person and then three hours later, they're treating you like dirt. And then it can be very confusing because then you're thinking, I thought this person loved me, but now they're treating me like they don't love me, but then tomorrow they're going to love me again. And so it's hard to get out of that hamster wheel of narcissism. So I think that noticing those times that don't feel good are really important. And I even think like keeping a journal about it so you can Really understand the cycle of the relationship that you're in if you're in a relationship with a narcissist. So, we're not looking for perfection, but we really want to recognize somebody else's patterns or actions that deviate from a healthy and respectful dynamic. And again, I talked about instincts, right? And they are a powerful compass when it comes to relationships. So, when something feels off, or raises concerns, it's definitely something to look at. Do not dismiss those feelings. The more you trust your instincts, the more you're going to, first of all, allow yourself to acknowledge and explore potential issues. And you're also empowering yourself, which aligns with prioritizing your emotional well being. Now, again, with those anxious attachments, again, with those anxious, again, with Again, so for people who run anxious or have an anxious attachment style, you're usually prioritizing somebody else's emotional well-being over yours. So again, this is to- this is a great time to start to do that work of learning how to prioritize your own emotional well-being. So red flags can come in many shapes and sizes. So again, like I said before, Inconsistent behavior is a red flag. A lack of transparency is a red flag. So if you see somebody avoiding questions, very specific questions, take note of that. What about somebody who is dismissive toward your concerns? That's also a red flag. So just pay attention. Pay attention when you're out on these dates. Pay attention to how the other person is acting, pay attention to anything that starts to feel like a pattern. Oh, wow, I've seen this come up five times now in a relationship. Do you want to address it? Or are you okay with walking away? It doesn't matter what you do about it. What matters is taking care of yourself in the relationship. But if you want to address it, I consider this to be proactive self-care. So this is about setting boundaries, initiating open communication about concerns, and seeking resolution before issues escalate. So if you keep quiet about these red flags, they're just gonna keep showing up and showing up and showing up. This might foster a sense of resentment inside of you, which will probably lead to a blow up. Because firstly, the person probably isn't consciously aware of what they're doing and that that is a red flag. So if you're not bringing that up at the beginning or you don't need, you know, maybe the person does something, you're like, ooh, that's a red flag. And it only happens once. Don't really need to talk about it. But if it's happening over and over and over again, there's a pattern. You want to talk about it before it ends into a blow up, right? Because we are trying to foster healthy communication, not unhealthy communication that is coming from a very emotional place because that will be coming from the limbic system which is connected to our survival system. And you'll probably end up not feeling good after an argument that feels very heated and emotional. So what happens when you're in a relationship with somebody for several months and you're kind of getting into the rhythm of being in the relationship, all things are going well, not a ton of red flags, or maybe they're not even red flags. Maybe you just experience life differently, and that's okay. So, you know, we want to stay away from codependent. So, how do we get into a partnership that is more interdependent? So, we want to balance our inter- independence and partnership. We want to create a landscape of thriving together. So the first thing we want to do is nurture our own individuality. We want to honor the unique qualities, interests, aspirations in ourselves and the other person, right? It's so important to embrace and celebrate these individual aspects because that is going to really contribute to a rich and dynamic relationship that thrives on the diversity of two unique individuals. I'm always shocked when I meet couples and they're like exactly the same and they do everything together. Again, I run a little avoidant. I definitely am way more secure in my attachment style now, but I notice when my avoidance pops up and I personally need my alone time and I need my own individual. I like to have my individual interests or I don't need, I don't want to have to rely on my partner to go out into the world and do something that I wanna do. Like they may say, I don't have time to do that or I'm not interested in that and that's okay. Them not being interested in something that I wanna do doesn't mean they're not interested in me, it just means they don't wanna go do that thing. So it's important to know what the difference is and not take that personally. Now, sometimes I say to my partner, hey, I know you're not really into this thing, but I would love to do this together. And my partner will be like, okay, I'll go do that with you because I know that you want to do that. That's another thing to look out for. If the person is constantly saying, no, I'm not interested in that. No, I don't want to do that. No, you do that. And you're like, hey, I would really like us to do something together. It would mean a lot for me if we went to this concert together and the person is constantly saying no to you, asking them, hey, it would mean a lot to me if we did this. That is a red flag. That means they don't care about your interests and they just want to do their own thing. So I think what's really important in partnership too is that the other partner, it's like they're the frosting on the cake, right? It's like they enhance your life. It's not about being dependent. It's about enhancement. So it's about contributing to each other's lives in meaningful ways, bringing out the best in each other. So I think that mutual enhancement fosters an environment where the relationship is a source of strength and inspiration rather than a constraint. And I want to go back to communication. So balancing this independence is a continual negotiation, which is why I say there's no such thing as too much communication. When I say continual negotiation, that means open and transparent communication. So I think it's important to discuss our individual needs, desires, and boundaries so that both partners feel heard and understood. I cannot say this enough. It is so important to feel heard and understood and to give that back to your partner as well. And I think also creating a shared vision. What is the thing that the two of you are trying to build and what do you want to build for yourself individually? And this goes back to respecting personal boundaries. I think that is a fundamental aspect of maintaining a healthy balance. So it involves recognizing and honoring the need for personal space, autonomy, and time for individual pursuits. Again, as I said, I lean towards being avoidant. So I love that personal space time. I might have my individual pursuits but one of my shared goals is I think family is really important. So does my partner, and that's really important to us, creating this idea of family. And this might say and this might sound cheesy, but it really is about creating a relationship where the sum is greater than its parts. So we want to consciously foster an environment where each partner's individuality is celebrated and preserved also creating a resilient, dynamic connection that's going to stand the test of time. I covered getting clear on your own values, you know, when you step into that dating pool. I covered how important it is to have communication and nurture trust in the relationship. I went over some red flags and I went over what to look for in a long-term relationship, wanting that interdependent relationship. If you have any questions about dating, relationships, please reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram at Mary B. Therapy. Come visit me on my website, MaryBtherapy.com. I have a program that I do on the side of my therapy practice, which is called Date to Mate. I have test piloted it on some of my friends with success. So I'm very excited about offering that. To you. And I hope some of these tips were helpful as you go into the dating world in 2024. And thanks for listening. Awesome.